0: Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Seattle Nice. I'm David Hyde, a politics reporter here in Seattle, Washington for NPR affiliate KUOW. Joining me, as always, political consultant Sandeep Kashik and Erica C. Barnett, the editor and publisher of Publicola. On today's show, homelessness, arguably the biggest issue in the 2021 City Council and mayoral races. Of course, this is not just a political issue. According to official estimates, more than 40,000 people were homeless at some point in King County in 2020. There's really widespread recognition that more needs to be done and a different approach. This led to the creation of the King County Regional Homelessness Authority, which starting this year was, for the most part, put in charge of homelessness in Seattle and King County. Strategy and spending is now up to this new authority. So today's big question is, how's it working out so far? For the King County Regional Homelessness Authority, are they doing a good job?
1: I'll I'll jump in on this. Look, I I think it's it's way too soon to tell. Um, the Regional Homelessness Authority was stood up and got its executive director uh, about a year ago, so we're about a year into its its operations. I think there are some signs, encouraging signs, and reasons to be optimistic. I also hear uh, certain criticisms of, of uh, you know, the Regional Homelessness Authority, particularly from coming from the provider community. Um, and I think there's still a question mark about whether the Regional Homelessness Authority is going to actually have the authority that it's supposed to have. I think there's resistance maybe to ceding Control of certain revenue streams and, and other sorts of power, uh, to this new enemy.
2: Yeah, I think, um, there are, I, I agree with Sandeep. It is, it is early to tell. I mean, in addition to, you know, being a really new organization, they just started, uh, contracting with providers this year. Um, I do think, you know, there are some, there are some, th- aspects of the authority that, you know, that I was reporting on before it even started that, you know, should give people pause, I think. Um, One being uh, the fact that it's mostly funded by one entity, the city of Seattle, um, whenever it needs more money, uh, tends to go back to the city of Seattle and ask for more money. Um, The other, about 29% um, comes from King County. And then there are all these suburban cities that are part of the authority and they want to weigh in and they have their own opinions about, you know, how the authority is doing things and the kind of policies. They want very different policies in the city of Seattle. They say they don't want to Seattleize the suburbs, but they don't contribute any money to the authority. And yet they have, um, they have a considerable amount. Of power, so there's a there's a real tension there, and there's also a limit to how much money the authority can actually get. And ultimately, when you're talking about things like building housing and shelter, you are talking about money. So if uh, if they're just going to continually tap the city of Seattle, that is a finite resource. Um, and I think that that was predictable before the authority formed. But I think that you know the rubber's really meeting the road on that right now.
1: I think the authority is, is going to be judged first and foremost on what is right now their primary initiative, which is to tackle homelessness downtown, in downtown Seattle. And uh, demonstrate in a relatively short period of time over the next nine months, significant progress in reducing encampments and the number of people, I think the estimates are there are about eight or 900 people uh, living unsheltered in downtown Seattle to reduce that number substantially um, you know, they've said the goal is to take that number to zero in, in you know, in a in a relatively short time frame. I think that's that's very ambitious, but but um you know, will they be able to reduce that number substantially or not? We'll see.
2: Well, I think that's I mean, I actually I would call it not ambitious, but but pretty unrealistic, just given the fact that people have freedom of movement and uh, one place they tend to move, you know, people who require services, they move to where the services are, which was just largely downtown in Pioneer Square, um, rationally so. And, you know, the jail uh, sends people out on the street into homelessness. View up the up the hill sends people, the hospital sends people out the street onto the street into homelessness all the time. Um, but I also think that, you know, when you talk about getting rid of uh, unsanctioned encampments downtown, there is all, there is another tension between the authority and the city, which is that the city under Mayor Bruce Harrell has really continued to accelerate encampment sweeps. And um, when I talked to the authority about the big sweep uh, at City Hall a couple weeks ago, you know, they said they didn't know about it and they don't support it. And I think that if that continues to happen and we have all these, we have lots of sweeps that, you know, are not coordinated with the authority because, you know, you were talking, Sandeep, about, um, you know, sort of a power balance and, and wanting authority over things. The city has kept authority over the, the right to remove encampments. And so you've got two different entities kind of working, you know, potentially at cross purposes with the city doing sweeps you know, where they don't necessarily uh, provide a lot of services or shelter for people who they're sweeping, and then the authority, you know, trying to keep track of those people and, uh, and you know, and actually get them into case management and get them into, you know, onto a better path towards housing. So I, I think there's all kinds of, of tensions that, again, I, I think were pretty predictable going in. I don't think that, you know, just reorganizing the, uh, the county and the city into an entity, you um, Automatically means that it's a regional approach, and I think we're seeing that it's it's not really a regional approach. It's uh, it, you know, it's one agency trying to do a regional approach with all these different players who want to do their own local approaches.
1: I think there are some things to be optimistic about here. Um, I last week had a chance to interview the the executive director of the of the regional homelessness authority, and uh, um, and one of the things that came up in that conversation is that really for the first time, Olympia. The state of Washington, in the last legislative session, passed uh, almost $900 million in funding di- directed at homelessness. And that's, that's real money. And a lot of that money, for the first time, is going to go not just to building housing, though that's the, the, the majority of it and, and is obviously a critically important piece, but a lot of that funding is going to go to funding services for homeless people too. So I think that that creates opportunities uh, for entities like the Regional Homelessness Authority to actually demonstrate progress because there are going to be those resources. In addition, there's, there's a relatively large number of uh, permanent supportive housing units coming online in the next couple of years. Permanent supportive housing being the the kind of housing that comes with wraparound services, and is what uh, people that are sort of chronically homelessness, uh, chronically homeless, and and most impaired either by addiction or mental health issues need that kind of housing that comes with services. So, so there's some capacity, new capacity in the system that creates an opportunity. We'll see how well they take advantage of it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, 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 think a lot of those funds are federal funds that you know are going to be uh, not an ongoing source of revenue. Um, and you know, I mean, housing unfortunately is incredibly expensive to build. Um, you know, the 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 state and the and the city and and the authority, you know, are I think rightly moving toward acquiring existing housing, which you know is is cheaper, but. Uh, you know, even a hundred million dollars for, for new permanent supportive housing. I mean, sadly only builds about 1500 units. And we were talking, and that's statewide. And we we're talking about, you know, potentially 40,000 people just in King County. So, I mean, the scale of the problem is just much, much greater than I think the, we've, we've been really willing to really contemplate and certainly greater than we've been willing to fund.
1: Yeah. I think, Erica, you've been, I think, rightfully focused on, on some of the, the unresolved tensions that that exist within this, in this kind of new regional umbrella, you know, model suburbs versus, um, you know, the city and, you know, maybe the, the, the providers feeling, you know, that they may not have uh, as much of a voice at the table as they think they ought to. I've certainly heard that from some of them. Um, but I think the fundamental tension within our homelessness system, whether it's regional or city focused or whatever, the the org chart looks like is the, the tension between how much do we emphasize long-term solutions like building more housing and adding more services and how much focus do we put on short-term interventions like cleaning up encampments that have grown out of, you know, that are perceived to have grown out of control or that are significantly contributing to public health or public safety issues, right? And that's the that's the argument um, that we've been having around homelessness uh, in one form or another for a few years now politically.
2: I think in a world where we have a finite amount of money and a finite amount of time to address homelessness, um, I mean, the, the city has chosen... To go for that short-term uh, approach, I wouldn't call it a solution, uh, which is to sweep people. So, so recently the city decided to sweep this huge encampment that's been there for v- a very long time. It's very persistent um, in the Chinatown International District that spills out onto Dearborn. Um, and the uh, a- a- and the problem with with that approach is, you know, there are fifty tents. There's between seventy and eighty people, and from what I understand, almost none of those folks um, were offered. Services, shelter, housing—any of those things. There's very little outreach. The um, the organization that primarily does outreach in that area was not doing, you know, was not funded to do outreach to that encampment. So when you're spending, you know, you've got you've got police time to sort of ward off protesters. You've got, um, you know, parks department time. You've just got you've got the, the the human services department. Just tremendous amounts of city resources going to remove people from what is literally a vacant lot of you know, a vacant piece of land, um, and and move them somewhere else. So that is the city's current priority. I don't know that it is, I don't think that it is the homelessness authority's current priority. And so, you know, you, you have to ask the question, what would it look like if, you know, the city decided to take a more systemic and, a, a, you know, a more deliberate approach to encampments like that one? Like they have done with some encampments in the north end, um, instead of just saying this is intolerable and we're going to sweep it. Now, the reason the city will often, um, accelerate sweeps is because there will be a violent incident. Um, there are, uh, there have been shootings at encampments and they, uh, use that as a justification for sweeping, you know, massive groups of vulnerable people out of the way. Um, you know, I, I personally think that that is not a bang for our buck kind of, uh, decision. Um, and, uh, and in any case, I mean, I, I think bigger picture, the city is really focused on, on shelter, which is also temporary as opposed to housing, which, you know, is, is the ultimate solution to, uh, you know, to the, the fact that people aren't housed. Well, I,
1: a couple of thoughts here. First of all, it's not a solution when there's, uh, encampments that are growing into Thunderdome.
0: Sandeep, I just I just have to ask, you are the master of hyperbole, but why I'm
1: the master of hyperbole?
0: Beyond the, is it why beyond the Thunderdome, the 3rd in the Mad Max series, uh starring Tina Turner as the uh, uh owner of this small post-apocalyptic Mini world, yeah. uh, you know, that obviously nobody would really want to live in, but, but it, it's a terrible movie. Are you <laughs> referring to the thunder, Thunderdome because you, you don't like this post apocalyptic world? Or are you trying to make us remember like the worst uh, movie in the series? Or did you like that? I
1: like that movie. What are you talking about, man? You're crazy. Uh...
0: One man enters, one man leaves. Wasn't that the thing? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yes.
0: No, two men enter, one man two leaves. Two men enter, one good. man
1: leaves. Yes. Um, yeah, it's a metaphor. For guess what, you know, um, a Hobbesian state of nature, right? I mean, it, you, you know, so uh, and and yeah,
2: talk about the master. <laughs>
0: Tina Turner is very good in that movie too. By the way, I don't, I don't know
1: why you're dissing <laughs>
0: Thunderdome. <laughs> like, once again, you know, uh, rebranding Seattle Nice as the ultimate in sort of bad yeah. Gen X yeah. direct. This basically. is a
1: Thunderdome <laughs> of political conversation right here in Seattle Nice. <laughs> <laughs> So, look, in an ideal situation, obviously, with every encampment, there would be intensive outreach that goes on for months and sort of individualized efforts to get, get every individual the, the, the right um, suite of services and bring them inside into shelter or housing. But there are also times when and it's clear that when these encampments sometimes grow very large, the problems associated with them start to intensify and you have bad situations developing. And even the people that are doing the intensive outreach will tell you, you know, I've had this conversation with the, with the Lisa Dugards of the world, you know, that's, that's running just the Jess Care program that we both support, um, uh, that as these encampments kind of become entrenched, and grow, they start to develop their own internal microcultures, some of which are problematic.
2: Well, I will say another encampment that got swept was One Tent, um, where um, a uh, another tragic shooting happened. And so, I mean, it's not just, I mean, I, I would say that a shooting, I mean, is is often used as a reason, even in the absence of what you're describing as like a, a violent Thunderdome microculture. <laughs> um, I don't think you know that about the encampment that we're talking about in the ID. Um, but it, but in any case, I mean, I think that the city looks for reasons to declare something and obstruction finds those reasons. And look, I mean, The problem with doing that intensive outreach at every single encampment is that there's not enough shelter, there's not enough housing for forty thousand people. There simply isn't. But um, but is the solution to just kind of keep saying, you know, this group of people needs to move a block over. There was a there's a big encampment sweep in March um, of an area underneath um, the I five freeway, where there where there have been encampments for as long as I can remember. I mean, for you know years, if not decades. And, um, two weeks later, I just happened to be in that area and guess what, the encampment's back. Um, and so (laughs) I just, the futility of it is something you can actually just see in real time on the street, because people don't vaporize, they have to take up space. And there isn't enough shelter for them to take up space in. And so I, I just think this, this constant destabilization of people throwing away their stuff, throwing away their tents, requiring them to go out and get new survival stuff, as well as IDs and, you know, all the crap you lose when your tent gets thrown away is, is destabilizing and actually, you know,
1: harms people. I, I don't disagree with that. But I would also point out that when you talk to the public safety authorities in the city of Seattle... Crimes, particularly violent crimes and shootings tied to encampments are way, way up. And so you're getting into a situation where, you know, people are getting shot and killed in these encampments over drug dealing turf or, you know, various forms of, you know, the kind of disputes that are taking place. And yes, my, th- in these thunderdomes, and these little mini thunderdomes, to use my phrase. Um, and, you know, that's a big friggin' problem too, right? Like, so I will say, I think that the balance that our current mayor is trying to strike, where I think he does believe in, you know, to the extent we can bring resources to bear, let's do, you know, the kinds of interventions, Erica, that you're talking about, and let's try to fund more upstream and long-term stuff. But at the same time, you got to take action sometimes when some of these places are turning into a violent shit show.
2: Yeah, and I don't think destabilizing people and relocating them to a different area actually is action. I mean, it is action. You are you are saying you cannot be here, move over there. Um, but I mean. It doesn't, I mean, if you're, if you're actually concerned about violence and encampments, I mean, the, the conditions that create violence, um, are not solved by just breaking up an encampment, telling everybody to move, you know, a block away. I actually think, I actually think
1: sometimes it does make a difference. I think sometimes when you, when you break up these large scale encampments that have become nodes of violence and criminality, I mean, this is, this is the argument we were having about hotspot policing a couple of weeks ago. There's evidence that, you know, hotspot policing doesn't just move the problem two blocks away, that it actually does lead to some reductions in the sorts of behaviors that it's targeted at. And I think that-
2: Wait, are you saying you think that, that hotspot policing is going to reduce shoplifting downtown?
1: So you're asking me, do do I think hotspot policing will reduce um, shoplifting downtown? Yeah,
2: and- in, in a month or two, will the well, the total number of shoplifting incidents have gone down because the police are, you know, are posted up at Third and Pine?
1: Uh, in that area of downtown? Yeah, I think it will make a difference. I think it already has made a and- difference.
2: But you under, but, but, but by saying in that area of downtown, you are implicitly acknowledging it's just going to go to another area of downtown. I'm not saying that. that and,
1: I, I, I'm saying that overall, you know, there may be, I, I do think there is a certain amount of displacement that happens. I don't think it's just like it all goes away magically. Of course not. Um, but overall, the net effect is a reduction in the amount of shoplifting. Yes
2: let's close down the bus stop okay they did that in 2015 they're doing it now let's post up a bunch of police for a temporary you know period of time they've did that you know on many previous occasions they're doing it now and yet somehow Shoplifting downtown, you know, has been cyclical, but I don't think that we've seen evidence that. And I'm just picking one, you know, one of the violations that are that they're trying to address because shoplifting is pretty easy to track. But I don't think we've seen that evidence. Well, uh, I don't. Maybe I
1: that's due to the fact that we've de facto legal shoplifting in the city of Seattle. Like that may may have less to do with the hotspot policing and the and other aspects of you know of of the debate that. We're having in the city around how we handle crime, um, you know, where, you know, lower level crimes like shoplifting almost never anymore lead to people actually going to jail for any length of time. I mean, they might get arrested and spend 36 hours or 48 hours at the King County Jail and then they get cut loose and they do it again.
2: I don't think people should be in jail for um, lengthy periods of time for shoplifting. I just don't. So was <laughs> a fundamental uh, yeah, disagreement between you is, and me. I mean, I, 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 I don't think we should be we should be throwing yeah, away the key for people who steal. I'm not saying throwing away know, the key, uh, but
1: after uh, the fiftieth time you've been arrested for shoplifting, I think you would probably spend six months in jail. You know, I, I, again, I, I, I think most people in the city would uh, look, I think we can set the bar really high, but. To say that nobody should go to jail for shoplifting, no matter how much they do it, you know how many times and how much harm they cause, I think is a mistake. I think that's just
2: you know wrong. It's interesting. I've I've covered a few examples of uh, of folks who have been arrested many times for shoplifting. Uh, not recently, but a couple years ago. Um, you know, I sat in on some court hearings. Um, of a, of a guy who shoplifted from the QFC on Capitol Hill on Broadway, um, over and over and over again, like an almost everyday thing. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, uh, what ended up happening in his case was he was deemed, he was not competent to stand trial. And then a lot of, a lot of times, you know, you'll have a competency hearing to see if the person is, is competent. But in a lot of instances you know you can just say oh this is a this is a a bad recidivist person who just insists on shoplifting cuz they don't care about anything but re- in reality if you go to these if you look into each of these cases a lot of times i mean sometimes it is shoplifting food but sometimes it's you know somebody not, you know, not having the wherewithal or, you know, the, the mental capacity to, to, to understand, you know, what, it, why it is they keep getting arrested, to understand, you know, what they're doing. And to ultimately, I mean, from a criminal justice standpoint, to stand trial and spend the jail time that you think they should spend. I mean, these these cases are more complicated than the way you're making it sound like where you, you know, you ask the public and should somebody who just won't stop shoplifting be arrested and thrown in jail? Sure, that sounds really simple, but it's not always that simple. And, you know, and and this is why, you know, I do think like this blanket approach just, you know, let's. Let's start arresting people and start throwing them in jail after a certain point is very simplistic. I think
1: the blanket approach right now is we don't jail anybody anymore. For shoplifting, that's the blanket approach in, in, in Seattle. Like the pendulum is not that we're throwing everybody in jail or throwing nobody in jail. I mean, that, that that's, that's, and, and I don't think that's, uh, to, to your specific example of if we're talking about a, a mentally ill person suffering from homelessness, absolutely, I think the system should treat that person in a different way than somebody who, say, is going in shoplifting repeatedly at stores maybe to 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 fund a a drug habit and is threatening employees or is getting into violent altercations in, with with employees uh and uh, you know causing that sort of harm which also does happen and that
2: well violent altercations are a separate offense from shoplifting right I, which, which often
1: don't get prosecuted either you know my, minor assaults in the city of Seattle don't often don't lead to any kind of criminal sanction anymore and even when People have done it multiple times. And I think that's again, I mean we fundamentally disagree about this, but I, I think after a certain level, then you can't just go around assaulting people.
0: All right, we gotta leave it there. That's it for this week's edition of Seattle Nice. I'm David Hyde, she's Erica C. Barnett, he's Sandeep Kashik, and you can find us on Twitter where our direct messages are open. It's at real Seattle Nice at Twitter. You can also donate. To Seattle Nice at our Patreon page. Just go to our Patreon page. It's quick, it's simple. We can only do it with your support at Patreon. Thanks so much for everyone who's been donating, and thanks so much for listening.